0: Good afternoon and welcome to Hudson Institute. I'm Ken Weinstein. I'm president and CEO of Hudson Institute. And let me say how delighted we are and how romantic it is of all of you to spend your Valentine's Day with us. (laughs) I'd like uh, in particular to extend a very warm welcome to a very special member of the Hudson Institute family, trustee Tom Berry, without whom today's event would not be possible. I also want to welcome. Trustee Margaret Whitehead, as well as uh, Leslie Schweitzer, another close member of the uh, Hudson Institute family and the uh, widow of a beloved uh, Hudson trustee, Bill Schweitzer, who is actually childhood friends from Cleveland of uh, Tom Berry. And uh, we we miss Bill every day around here at Hudson. Uh, Let me note that uh, Tom is the uh, president and CEO of the investment management firm Zephyr. He's been a pioneer in investments in emerging markets. Prior to founding Zephyr, Tom was president and CEO of Rockefeller Management, the investment arm of the Rockefeller Family Fund. He's a graduate of Yale College, Harvard Business School, serves on both Yale's President's Council on International Affairs and the Dean's Council at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. Tom, I want to thank you for all you do for Hudson and for making today's event possible. Now, our featured guest, of course, is Dr. Okachuku Enalama, who is uh, Nigeria's new Minister of tra- Industry, Trade, and Investment. And now, before I say anything about Dr. Enalama and his incredibly impressive uh, bio, let me note that today's event is not sponsored by a public affairs firm. This is not part of a lobbying campaign. This is not sponsored by a foreign agent. Uh, we just decided to open our platform to give Dr. Enalama an opportunity to uh, discuss openly issues around transparency and economic reform in Nigeria, which is, uh, of course, Africa's second largest economy. Uh, Hudson has had a long interest in international development, which dates to the days of our founder, Herman Kahn, who was a, a pioneer in international development theory. We are the home of the Index of uh, Global Philanthropy and Remittances that looks at the uh, both trade and commerce flows to the developing world, and we're also the home of the kleptocracy initiative, which is designed to expose corruption around the world, the threat that it poses to democratic uh, governance, and to development. And so for all these reasons, given the challenges facing Nigeria, it seemed absolutely appropriate to welcome uh, Minister Enelama. Now, Nigeria, I think all of us know, has faced major economic challenges from Collapsing oil prices, foreign currency shortages, security challenges, deficiencies in energy and transportation infrastructure. And in the face of these massive challenges, Minister Enalama has made it a priority to work in partnership with relevant stakeholders in government, the private sector, and other agencies to boost Nigeria's investment attractiveness. His policy initiatives, and we'll hear about them momentarily, are based on improving the ease of doing business in Nigeria, supporting foreign direct investment, growing the non-oil sector of the economy, and creating jobs. He was appointed to this ministry after a significant search, a headhunting search, by uh, President uh, Buhari in November 2015, after President Buhari decided that None of the names that had been suggested to him could have been deemed free of, uh, say, personal interests in the position. (laughs) And uh, Dr. Anilama himself has taken an extraordinary path in the government. He originally trained as a medical doctor, graduating from the University of Nigeria in 1985. Uh, He then went on, uh, after treating a patient who worked at uh, Arthur Anderson to to go on and earn and, and decide that he wanted to go work in the investment sector, went on to earn an MBA at the Harvard Business School. Where he graduated in towards the top of his class as a Baker Scholar. He later went to work for Arthur Anderson and Goldman Sachs before joining Tom Berry at Zephyr Management. In 1997, he founded his own private equity firm, the African Capital Alliance, which he served as CEO of until he joined the government and had to take a not only a significant pay cut but also a significant uh, change in uh, the equity stake that he held in his company as he had to divest himself and this is uh, a man who is an incredible reformer and a frank speaker and we're absolutely delighted uh, and honored to welcome Minister analama and he, the minister will speak offer formal remarks and afterwards he will engage in a uh, conversation with Tom Barry who knows uh, the issues, the challenges uh, facing Nigeria, very well f- from decades of experience. So, Minister Nolama, delighted to welcome you to Hudson Institute. Looking forward to hearing your remarks.
1: Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So, thank you all for coming. I've been asked to speak for a few minutes, and um, then we'll have an interactive session. So. If you permit me, I'll just say a few things. Um, <clears throat> first, I'm very delighted to be at this um, very prestigious institute today to address this um, this um, very distinguished group of people. Many of you are my friends, and if I started to greet all my friends in the room, I could spend all my time just reconnecting, reuniting. <laughs> it could become a reunion of sorts. So I must um, thank Tom and everybody that has made this possible. And um, I... I want to really appreciate Tom Barry, who, um, once he knew we were coming to the U.S., reached out to say, perhaps we can work together to, to have this gathering. As some of you may know, but many of you may not know, Tom actually um, hired me, not even coming out of business school, while I was still in business school, because um, you know the way it is, in your second year, you start prospecting for the job you're going to do when you graduate. As part of that process, I, uh, I engaged Tom, and Tom was launching a fund for South Africa, and those of you that know Tom, you know how entrepreneurial he is and how practical. Tom, instead of going through the normal process where you graduate and then you come and settle down to work, Tom said, we have to do a business plan. So we started working on the business plan while I was completing my MBA. And like I said, the rest is history. We launched a fund for South Africa and I uh, went to work for and with Tom. Um, and that relationship has, um, you know, gone through many, many, many stages, but um, to the point now we we believe we are family. So, Tom, thank you very much. Um, I understand the Hudson Institute is um, the Hudson Institute is, uh, you know, has a, it distinguished itself as a leading think tank by using scenario planning techniques to forecast long-term development. Some of the things I read or uh, we found out were quite impressive. Like the institute um, was at the forefront of predicting the rise of Japan as a, an economic powerhouse. Um, some of the technological developments that have really been um, um, quite quite um, revolutionary were were some, somehow um, either forecast or predicted by the institute. So for me, this is actually an opportunity to listen and to learn from such a distinguished group of people, you know. And I hope that um, as we look at the relationship between the U.S. and Nigeria, as as a type but also has a very specific relationship that one is very interested in. We are very interested in as a country that we can find ways of moving ahead that will make it mutually beneficial you know, for both the U.S. and for us and for many of the stakeholders that are here that have an um, interest in that. The United States has historically been one of Nigeria's top trading partners, and for many decades, the U.S. was the biggest importer of Nigerian crude. And even though in the last five years there has been a decline because of you know, U.S. imports of crude, has, of course, declined while you've um, had domestic shale and so on. Uh, We believe that this still offers an opportunity to explore new areas. Nigeria, in particular, is very interested in moving beyond oil to non-oil exports and a more diversified economy. And um, I can't think of a better partner in terms of countries than the U.S. in terms of what you represent. Um, And I'll talk more about that as I go on. Um, of course, Nigeria enjoys a mutually beneficial relationship with the U.S. In fact, only yesterday, um, um, our president spoke to your president, and I'm going to have a meeting later um, at the State Department just to you know, continue our conversations. And for me, that's very encouraging because you know, when you have change, people can get very, very excited as if the world is coming to an end. But as we found out, when things settle, there are certain things that remain the same. U.S. will continue to be important, will continue to be strategic, and even if there are changes in administration, people have to work with the US because of who you are. And in some respects, um, I would even say Nigeria has the same profile in Africa, where you know, we need to get our act together, yes. Are we relevant, yes? Do people need to work with Nigeria, yes? And in many respects, it's trying to create the mutuality of interest and the ways of um, working together for mutual benefit that is the most important thing to focus on. Of course, there are several U.S. companies that do business in Nigeria and are doing business in Nigeria. I mean, it's a very long list, but let me just mention a few for, for, you know, just for effect. ExxonMobil, Chevron, General Electric, IBM, Microsoft, PNG, Coca Cola, Pepsi Company, and the list goes on. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, the U.S. has had a very long history and very um, robust history of operating in Nigeria. And even though that is true, what is even more true is that we're not anywhere near our potential. I have come, I've had a number of meetings in the last couple of days, and what is clear is that the path ahead is very exciting, if we can make the most of it, and we certainly are very keen to do so. It is my hope and belief that engagement with bodies like the Hudson Institute and many of the people who are in the room today would help translate this potential to reality. These are no doubt very challenging times for Nigerian economy, have seen a significant decline in government revenues, challenges with even the traditional FDI we've attracted, and a slowdown of the economy in general. But having said that, you know, um, we also believe that you know, the, 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 the setting is right for a diversification of the economy, that in many respects you could argue that the, the strategy that was, um, or, or the policies or vision that was spelled out by the government that I eventually joined is the right one. I mean our president has a three point vision which I think um, even if people have disagreed on other things, nobody has a d- disagreed that has the right vision for Nigeria. The focus on security and making sure that we deal with issues of security to have peace and security across the length and breadth of the country. The focus on governance and dealing with issues around corruption, his view is that, and the way he put it is um, that we have to kill corruption If not, corruption may well kill us. So we need to make sure that we just deal with it head on. And then more importantly, and finally, the focus on the economy. And this commitment is not just in mere words. Um, As it relates to the economy, we think it translates to trying to find a path to true diversification, to sustainable economic growth, and the shared prosperity that will include what we typically call inclusive growth, which means it's creating jobs along the way, not just what um, I think some economists have called jobless growth. It, and we're building on these fundamentals and trying to create a kind of reform that will lead to the results we seek. Just to give you an example, we just recently launched something called the Nigeria Economic Recovery and Growth Plan. Many of the things in that plan represent things we're working on already, certainly from you know the different agencies and ministries of government, but we kept getting the feedback that we don't understand what your, what the policies of this government is. And frankly, we can't plan Without having clarity on where you are going, not unlike what you are seeing in the U.S. today with the new administration, so this um, this particular um, um, uh, Nigerian Economic Recovery and Growth Plan is an attempt to pull together our plans in a very coherent and in a very clear way, so that people will know where government is going and also make it very clear what our our, our approach to you know achieving our, our, this vision that I spelt out is, and I think that's been so far very well received. Since the inception of this administration under President Buhari, our efforts have been aimed at ensuring that all Nigerians enjoy you know, better living standards. Because one of the things that um, the President's party, or our party, the party that is um, at the center now, APC, um, 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 one of the concerns was that like, even though Nigeria had received very good press and very good growth numbers in terms of statistics, um, a lot of people were were, were, were were left out of it. I mean it wasn't it didn't create the kind of jobs we needed. we certainly had issues with our youth and that problem remains still today but there is no question that that is a the, the very major um, area of interest for us. and so in looking at the, 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 the those fundamentals I talked about those um, the vision I spelled out around peace and security, around governance, around the economy, we believe that that is the right way you know to address these issues on a sustainable basis if you want to really get to the heart of it. Let me just say a few things that uh, we've achieved already or that the government has achieved already on those three points. On security, as many of you will know, at the time President Buhari took over government, there was a major issue with Boko Haram, which is a terrorist organization that was um, rampaging a part of the country the northeast part of Nigeria. Um, Even though Boko Haram still is a threat in terms of um, um, individual uh, sporadic attacks, you know, but they no longer occupy t- territory or, you know, almost like acting as if like, this is um, an alternative um, government or an alternative group that has its own territory that it controls. I think all that has been has been addressed and, um, and the country, and we believe that like that is a war that will be won and a war that we're winning. And on the issue of corruption and governance, um, the president has led the effort through a combination of institution-building and judicial efforts to ensure that, you know, again, this is a quote, public funds work for public good. Now, what this means is that we've signed up, for instance, the Open Government Partnership, a clear demonstration of our commitment to transparency. And um, one of the things I remember Tom always tells me is that, like, if you want to deal with things like corruption, people have to see people go to jail. And we're beginning to see people actually go to jail and a lot of them... Um, a lot of publicity around it, just to make it clear that like, there is a downside to doing the wrong thing, that this is not just something you talk about, that nothing happens. And on the economy, you know, we are certainly learning to win ourselves from the historic dependence on crude oil by diversifying our economy and putting ourselves on a path to sustainable growth. And I would like to share with you some of the things we are doing that would help us achieve uh, this economic diversification. Let me look at it from the point of view of my ministry or the portfolio that I look after, which is the industry, trade, and investment. Our policy trusts in sort of MITI, the Ministry of Industry and Investment, our policy trusts have been mainly focused on how to diversify the economy and put it on this sustainable growth. And in the interest of time, let me just share four initiatives that we're working on. Because I think they're illustrative rather than exhaustive. You know, um, the first one is something I've always been very passionate about. I remember going back to Nigeria, as we were told earlier, in 1997 uh, with Tom actually to start this um, African Capital Alliance. Um, African Capital Alliance was founded not just by myself but by five other partners, of which um, Tom was also a partner. And at the time, you know, I remember being part of the public private think tanks and, and groups that were meeting. Nigeria Economic Summit Group, one of them was called. And even then we're talking about the importance of enabling environment and the fact that you have to create the right environment for businesses to thrive, for the economy to grow, and for us to attract the investments we need to grow the economy. So one of the first things, and particularly given the portfolio I was given to, to attend to in the government that I told myself was that like, we must focus on this enabling environment and crack it. You know, because I believe that um, it's actually one of the most important responsibilities of government you know, to create the right environment for the citizens and for the stakeholders to operate. You know, and that's something we've, um, I'll tell you more about what we're doing there. The second thing we focused on is Nigeria's um, industrialization and I might add competitiveness and how, what can you do? And I will talk about one specific initiative, which is the special economic zones. Again, something that we've talked about for a long time, that we want to get done, so let me say you know just uh, very clearly that one of the roles i one of the things I want to achieve in going into government is to make sure that the things you talk about that you're persuaded by that you want to do that you actually get them done because some of these things at times you can't even tell whether the people saying it mean to do them but are hard to do or whether it's just talk you know and um you know, so I'm very keen to see that there a few things that actually work. Some of them I'm realistic to know that you can't finish it in one cycle, but at least one can make the kind of headway that can make them sustainable. And hopefully those coming after us will continue. The other one is around investment and attracting investors and building investor confidence. And this has been a particular challenge for Nigeria, because at the time uh, it was almost as if we were unprepared for this economic downturn when it happened. You know, so we struggled with issues around foreign exchange policy, issues around sort of um, the, right, um, the right framework you know, for, for continuing to attract foreign direct investment at a time when you know the way the investors are, particularly like portfolio investors, who, as you know, can be, um, I don't want to say um, are known for their short-term instincts, but certainly they like to feel that like, you can take your money out when you want to take it out without, being, without somebody giving you a moral lesson on why you ought to think about the country. And so we've had to struggle with all that and still come out in a way that we create the right environment. And then the final one is around the cooperation with in the United States. After all, you know we're, we're here in the U.S. talking to you. And uh, Let me just share a few things on those four initiatives. First, on enabling environment. Nigeria aspires to be one of the most attractive places to do business in the world. I mean, I call it, you know, it's like, uh, um, I think it was um, Jim Collins, you know, in one of his earlier books that talked about big, hairy, audacious goals, you know, You know why not, you know, say, what stops us from being a very attractive place to do business? We don't just want to be a mediocre place, but a very attractive place. And this is the vision, actually, that we have discussed in government and we've bought into. And is on the basis of this that the president launched something that is called the Presidential Enabling Business Environment Council, which is chaired by the vice president. The whole idea is to say, how can we reform government working with the private sector, because everybody agrees that this is a win-win. That's one of the reasons why we went for this. There are many things we, you could get very robust debates going on. But one of the good um, pieces of news is that the president loves the idea, the cabinet members love the idea, the private sector is music to their ears. Why don't we just pull together and get it done? Enabling environment, because we know that it's a classic agency problem. The people who only benefit are individual officers acting in their own self-interest. They're certainly not doing it for the government. They're not doing it for the private sector. So why don't we, the losers in quotes, come together and say, no more. You know. So we're going to um, great lengths to set up the infrastructure and the enabling um, pieces that will make sure this enabling environment. And I must say it's getting traction. It's getting a lot of publicity. And one of the surprises, and this is one of the positive surprises from being in government, is how much the agencies and their leadership have embraced it. Um, I would have thought, you know, the way the, the conventional wisdom is that these people resist, but it turns out that I'm sure there is resistance within the civil service, but even the leadership of the key agencies want to see the reforms. And therefore, those reforms are continuing at pace. So that's something we're very positive about. For instance, things like visa on arrival, new with visa application issues. I was in an earlier meeting when they were talking about getting approvals for technology transfer. Just basic stuff. And we want to see all these things Done, um, we, one of the people advising us is the former prime minister of Georgia, um, who apparently did a very um, great job of reforming Georgia, you know, and he basically says, one of the, one of the things they did was something they call, um, um, I know the, silence means agreement, I've forgotten the technical term he used for it, basically, if you don't get an approval within a set time, it means you have the approval anyway, you know, unless you get a no, <laughs> you know, so we're working on getting putting that in place. The second area of interest is how to achieve industrialization by providing the kind of infrastructure that will actually speed up industrialization through special economic zones and industrial parks. This something we've talked about a lot, but what we'd like to do is in a public-private partnership model, you know, launch some world-class industrial parks. Ideally, we'd like to have one in each geopolitical zone. In Nigeria, we'll have six, uh, but we may have to start with two. And the good thing is that, like, we have our own share of the budget in it. We have a world-class team working on it, including um, a group out of China and 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 um, and some, you know, a consulting firm that is working with us. And even the World Bank. We were the World Bank yesterday. Uh, we are pulling together um, some of the world's um, um, best sort of uh, best practices and knowledge in this area. And I'm very confident that we'll make progress. And again, the ambition is to have things that are world-class. Our view is that. Nigeria is not unique in the sense that, like, if we do the right thing, we won't get the results. And this is a very basic premise on which one has gone into government that, you know, I personally reject. In fact, I'm very, you know, as an a audit, former auditor, I'm very skeptical anyway. I'm very skeptical of arguments that say things are so different here that if you do the right thing, you won't get the results. In fact, one of the very humbling things you find as a Nigerian who is now in government is that you go around the world. I mean, it's like airports. You go to Ghana next door. You go to middle-income countries, lower income countries. You know, having airports that work has become fairly routine. So the exception is actually when you don't do it. So there's nothing to celebrate about not having your airports just run properly. First, it's something that has been well outsourced. There's a whole body of operators that that's what they do. And it's a very global industry, as you know. So I'm very excited about the aviation industry reforms that are going on in Nigeria right now. And I'm confident they would work because we're basically trying to do what others have done. We don't need to reinvent anything. You know, and uh, let me go on and talk about incentives and um, investment. As you know, my background is in, um, you know, I've pursued an investment career thanks to Tom and others. What this means is that somehow, you know, I suspect that one of the reasons why I was asked to join the government is actually this area of investment. And as happens in life often, very humbling, is actually an area where Nigeria has struggled the last year or so. And part of it has to do with the foreign currency environment, the, you know, global environment and all that has happened. But there is no question that he also offers us an opportunity to put the right people there. Uh, We have um, an investment promotion agency called the Nigeria Investment Promotion Commission. We put a top investment banker in Nigeria, Yowande Sadiku, there, and she's doing a great job. And we are trying to make sure that all the elements are in place for you know, having really um, the right relationship and the right institutions for attracting investment on a sustainable basis. And um, I can share with you some of the incentives that we, are, we have revamped. We have something called the Pioneer Status, which has to do with the incentives we give to people working in pioneer industries. We also have something that promotes exports and um, a number of other initiatives that are all geared towards promoting investment. The final one to talk about is um, um just to talk about what we're doing with the U.S., uh, you know, specifically. Uh, before the last administration left, um, I had, we had some very useful discussions with um, Secretary Priska as part of the you know, U.S.-Africa engagement, and U.S.-Nigeria engagement in particular. And one of the things that came out of that was a decision to launch something called the U.S.-Nigeria Commercial and Investment Dialogue, which was announced by our president at the second U.S.-Africa Business Forum in September last year, which took place in New York. We hope that this U.S.-Nigeria Commercial and Investment Dialogue would actually um, help to promote some specific areas that we see as areas of opportunity looking ahead. Infrastructure, agriculture, um, the digital economy, and some of the reforms, so entrench some of the reforms we're dealing with and how to work with the U.S. on them, like I talked about the enabling environment and the regulatory reforms. And the whole idea was that at the, at the level of the Commerce Secretary, and the Minister of um, Industry, Trade, and Investment in Nigeria, we could work together on, um, you know, to basically create the right platform for this exchange to happen and this dialogue to happen that will lead to results. We are confident that this will continue. Um, however, clearly, we need to engage the new administration, and that's something that has started. That process has started. I must say that the State Department back in Nigeria have also engaged us on, a, on an institutional basis to make it send a signal. That this is something that I'm aware of and I'm working on, and they were fully briefed on, so that it's not just a matter of political heads, you know, moving and then you you come back to zero. Let me conclude by saying that the fundamentals of the Nigerian economy continue to be attractive. One of things I tell people that I'm a contrarian investor when it comes to investment is that you know I don't believe that things change that quickly. The fact that um, the environment changed, the economy seems to have um, receded after many years of growing doesn't mean that the reasons why people are interested in Nigeria have gone away. you know. So if you look at those reasons, whether it's in terms of the de- population and demographics, in terms of the resources, in terms of the democratic institutions that are now well established, you know, or, or even our place uh, positioning in West Africa and in Africa, those things all remain true. And I would argue that the crisis we've dealt with or we're dealing with in the last um, couple of years have actually given us an opportunity to deal with what I call genuine legitimate reforms. And the quality of people that um, President Buhari has attracted into the cabinet, even if I say so myself, I've been impressed with my colleagues. Some of them I knew knew before I joined the cabinet. So for us, it's a real challenge to say, what can we do at this very um, important time in Nigeria's history to work together to make a difference that will be lasting for public good? And I think part of it is accepting that we need partners we need allies, and also being able to listen to understand what has worked elsewhere that we can leverage to work in our own country. So again, I want to thank you for coming, and I look forward to the rest of the time we spend together this afternoon. Thank you very much.
2: Well, good afternoon, I'm Tom Berry. Delighted to be uh, hosting this part of the program O.K. mentioned in his preliminary remarks that uh, Hudson predicted the rise of Japan. So I think we're here today to say that Hudson's predicting the rise of Nigeria. <laughs> that would be nice. Very nice. And uh, <laughs> we are honored to have Minister Analama here because O.K. is in the vanguard of Nigeria. The President has appointed a number of ministers who are both competent and honest. You know, in our country, will take either one, but, but if you could get both, this is pretty unusual. So there are several ministries like this, and you heard uh, the really thoughtful approach uh, that they're taking in terms of foreign investment. I'll point out for those of you who aren't so familiar with the country, a couple statistics that I always like. One is uh, <clears throat> estimate is around 160 or 70 million population now
3: mm-hmm.
2: plus or minus. One in four Africans is a Nigerian. Nigeria is about twice the size of uh, California land lies. It has a purchasing power parity economy of over a trillion dollars with a per capita income of around uh, 6,000 U.S. dollars. I mean, it's complicated as to whose measurements you use, but uh, and is by far the largest economy in Africa. So here's Here's an opportunity in which you heard a minister say they're focusing on enabling environment and industrialization. So uh, I'll start with a couple questions, and then we'll invite the audience to participate. So let me ask, uh, okay, if I'm interested in investing in Nigeria,
1: who do I see? Who do I go to? What, what, is, what is the path? I think I'll say three things, and three, and some of them it may sound a bit contradictory, but I'm sure, given the experience in the room, you know it's not. The first thing about Nigeria, and actually this is um, very interesting, is that Nigeria is, you know, is a very open country. We love to travel, we love to welcome foreigners, and in fact, at the stage, we actually thought that you could just come in and do whatever you you want to do without even having any partner. And I think many people who have spent time in Nigeria would agree that it's um, it's accessible in that sense. However, Given the difficulties of doing business and the diversity of the people, including the fact that you could be misled by somebody who seems to be what he, who thought out to be what what is different from what he claims to be, many people have gone the path of, you know, choosing partners that know the market well. And this is true of, you know, investing anywhere in the world, that it helps to have local knowledge. You know, so one of the things uh, um, we encourage people, and in fact, this was one of the business for founding African Capital Alliance, was like uh, there, there are cases where it makes sense to choose um, the right local partners, and that's something you, you are, that is completely your choice. And there are many ways to get to them, you know. Uh, but equally important, in mean, government, is important to emphasize that from a government perspective, we have a whole agency that is now led by the right individual that is just focused on attracting investment, the Nigeria Investment Promotion Commission, and it has the enabling legislation and, and authority to give you the incentives you need the approvals you need, everything is meant to be actually a one-stop shop. And that role has been recently reinforced by housing the secretariat for the, uh, the presidential enabling business environment uh, council in the same agency. Rather than forming a new sort of secretariat, we decided that could coexist in that same unit and they are working very well together. So I would say from the point of view of government, it will be NIPC. Um, um, certainly you can also deal with the private sector Certainly, you're welcome to Nigeria on your own. I want to make it as easy as possible for you. Okay. So you might actually, uh, you your
2: staff afterwards, let uh, Hudson know so that, because uh, I remember one of the best speeches I've ever heard was about 30 years ago, uh, Prime Minister Mahathir of Malaysia was in New York, and he said, we're open for investment, and it was kind of snickers, and he said, and here is the telephone number, for you to call, anybody ask you for a bribe or money and where you can find land and set up, and it was a fabulous, fabulous sales pitch, and they got a lot of foreign investment, so I encourage
1: you. Well, I'll give you the telephone number. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, so, okay. So, okay, said something important, in the last answer is that uh, majority ownership or 100% ownership by foreign investors is permitted, so you might elaborate on that just a little bit because a lot of countries don't.
1: And and it's important to just put it in in context, historically. So Nigeria went through, you know, the way most post-colonial countries, certainly under the um, sort of um, old British system or similar countries, we went through a time when we went through the so-called indigenization, the idea that like you had to either have majority or local ownership, and this happened in the 70s. But thankfully, because that process wasn't entirely a success, in fact, it had many Um, unintended consequences in terms of multinationals are pulled back. Many of them haven't fully returned. In the last um, 10 or 15 years, Nigeria has sort of um, taken out most of those um, laws um, and said almost any sector of the economy is open. Uh, There might be a few exceptions like arms making or something like that, but in general, most of the things you'd be interested in commercially, you can own 100%. Uh, like so that if you decide to take on a partner, it should be for commercial reasons or for reasons of choice rather than legislation. And so that's where we are today. Um, the other point to make is that even though there is some resurgence or some uh, local content laws that I imagine in oil and gas, I uh, was at an earlier session where we were talking about the same thing. Even in um, some noises being made in ICT, I think all these are coming from point of view of more procurement. Uh, as well as trying to say, this is based on which government wants to do business going forward. Even then, we want to temper it with what I call market solutions or market uh, forces, because we believe that markets will help us a lot in creating the right kind of efficiencies for sustainability in growing our economy.
2: Are there any uh, priority areas for foreign investment or any uh, inducements towards
1: those priority sectors? Yeah, so um, one of we, we have, we've identified three priority sectors in this latest plan or this plan that we've um, recently uh, put together called the Nigeria Economic Recovery and Growth Plan. The first one is um, on food and agribusiness and agriculture and things that are related to that for a variety of reasons, notably uh, it's an area where we think we have a comparative advantage, we think it can be a good employer of labour, and there is um, a lot of investment room for investment in that area. But the second one, which is equally as important, could have been number one, actually, is the whole area of infrastructure, notably power, and, and, and even the things that relate to the petroleum sector and fuel. And the reason is that this is an area where, first of all, it's been a drain on our resources, when in fact it could have been an enabler in a very major way. So we, we are very committed to solving the problem, and in order to solve it, we recognize that we need private sector-led solutions and investment. And we've had some very good examples there like General Electric and others who are making very similar investments in the country to help to address that problem. The third area is industrialization, like I said. And not just large scale industrialization, but also the kind of industrialization that encourages even smaller businesses to be part of the ecosystem, to be part of the the food chain or the you know, the value chain in a way that um, that, that that works. So when I talk about special economic zones, it's government's attempt to work with the private sector to set up the infrastructure to help more value added production in Nigeria. But digital economies under one, this whole ICT and trying to work to be part of the twenty first century and our youth have led the way in this particular area. I mean we've seen a lot of innovation, a lot of applications being developed and a lot of sort of um, you know, software programmers and engineers and people who are trying to do things. I would like Nigeria to be able to compete in this space. And clearly is an area of great interest in working with the US. I would say from personal observation, uh, Legos particularly is
2: a hotbed of startups and in technology innovation. Uh, a great uh, uh, sort of returning group of Nigerians who've worked in many in the UK or the US, but this is uh, one of the more dynamic areas. So let me open this uh, to our group and see what, uh, sir, in the back, you, yeah, right there, yeah.
4: Uh, Henry Hetker, retired government, on CCTV, the Chinese news station, about a year ago, they covered Nigeria and Lagos in particular, and they indicated that there was sea level rise in the region and that an island was threatened in the bay, and they encircled it with a new seawall made of heavy boulders, and it appeared to be holding. They then planned to cover the entire uh, bay, uh, fringe, uh, where the city is located further in encircle the whole region with a stone seawall, and then a new city would sprout out behind the wall. Uh, A tremendous investment, and many high-rise buildings were (coughs) built for the new city. Uh, Can you bring us up to speed on all this? I'm wondering what is going on. We heard just about the startups, the American startups. Uh, People have migrated back to Nigeria to set up companies. Uh, It's interesting to know. Then I wondered about these grand plans that China has for the region.
1: Like, go ahead? Okay.
4: Um, well, there are
1: several questions in there. Let me start from where you started. Um, uh, yeah, the, the the first point. Um, I happen to have lived in Lagos, and in fact, my former landlords, my office, were the guys who started building the city in response to the flooding and the ocean, you know, rising tide and so on. So it's a classic example where. Um, somebody came up with a very bold, private sector-led, innovative, entrepreneurial, capital-intensive solution to what looked like um, a huge environmental challenge. You know, this rising sea levels. So basically, uh, a company which had built in you know, a number of smaller cities as a as a private initiative decided to take on the opportunity of reclaiming land because apparently the ocean had been moving inland and had claimed part of what used to be Victoria Island, if you know Lagos well. And so they basically um, started building something called Eco-Atlantic City, which um, is supposed to be bigger than the original Victoria Island, which is where you have most of the uh, commercial offices and even residential um, 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 places in Lagos. That is a multi billion dollar development. They wanted to be a financial services capital of Africa. Very, you know, and these guys are very savvy. Um, Obviously, it's been affected somewhat, I believe, by the economic downturn because uh, they were relying on uptake of, you know, the way they build these things. They basically put in the infrastructure and then people come and take up the industrial areas, people take up the residential, the office. And that's exactly what they were doing. But if anybody can get it done, this family or this um, group can get it done. My understanding, the last time I checked, was that they were continuing because they had made very similar investment before even any downturn, And every time people go to see the city, they're very impressed by what they see. Here's what's remarkable about Lagos and Nigeria, for that matter. As big and ambitious as our project is, there are two other similar projects going on around in Lagos State. So Dangote Industries, basically, is also building an industrial park further down, maybe about, um, you know... Um, 50 kilometers further down in a place called Leki, where they're building a, you know, the world's largest refineries, the world's, some of the world's largest fertilizer plants and petrochemical plants. Again, this is a $10-$20 billion development and very, very ambitious. Now, Dan Gote, again, is a man with a track record for industrialization in Nigeria. And in fact, is considered the richest man in Africa, as some of you would know. So if anybody has the capacity and the audacity to embark on such an ambitious project he does and he's doing it and I think the first um, plant will be opening later this year or early next year and we are still assessing the implications of that because this this plant or this place is I think it's something like bigger than Victoria Island is it? Six times, Six. about two times Victoria Island I mean and this is you know, just humongous you know, So I think some of these things are going on, and I think um, they just represent the potential as well as the, the, the faith people have in Nigeria.
4: Whitney.
5: Mr. Minister, thank you very much for being here and for your remarks. My name is Whitney Schneidman, and I chair the Africa Practice at Covington, which is a law firm here in Washington. And I've been to Nigeria a lot over the last two years since President Buhari has been in power, and just want to say that every engagement with the government has been very constructive and positive, including the work we did on the MTN matter. Um, but the question I wanted to ask you uh, refers to the, the technology and specifically Nollywood, and as as we've come to understand Nollywood, um, you know it's a huge employer in in the Nigerian economy and. Generates more content than any other country except for Hollywood and Bollywood. But the business model, as we see it, is: um, for every one film that goes to DVD, one is sold, nine are copied, and it suggests that protection of intellectual property is a real, a real need in in Nigeria t- uh, to make sure that those who create the intellectual property get returns on it. To continue to build the economy so I'm just interested in your thoughts on what your government is doing to strengthen the protection of intellectual property
1: thank you um, so intellectual property very very important question um, and it's one where I would admit that we've had all kinds of um, you know challenges in terms of piracy and, and the kind of problems you described. A couple of thoughts on that. One is that the World Intellectual Property Organization (WIPO), which is in um, Geneva, has recently made a decision to set up one of its key um, regional offices around the world in Nigeria, and that's important because they do bring a lot of infrastructure, technology, capacity, you know, to systematically tackling the problem of intellectual property. Part of the intellectual property um, um, regulation sits with me you know, trademarks and, and patents and so on. And we certainly have found that the agent, the Department of Government has been reactive rather than proactive. It certainly has not leveraged technology to a degree should in addressing that. And a lot of lawyers have shown interest. And we've invited them to work with us to modernize, transform, reform, you know, that particular department. It's called the Department of Commercial Law. And there's a part that sits with the Ministry of Justice. We're also working very closely with them. Uh, so I would say it's one of those areas where, clearly, government wants to be a better enabler and regulator for the public good, like you've pointed out. And we certainly will be working with the intellectual property organization, WIPO, as well as with the private sector, notably Trademark and um, intellectual property lawyers and other interested parties. I've recently had, uh, um, um, invited um, a, a top lawyer that is interested in this area to actually advise us, on what to do? We also have somebody working on the technology part, so hopefully we'll make progress. But it's it's clearly a challenge. Sir, the rear.
6: Thank you very much. My name is Yaya Fanoussi with United States of Africa Twenty Seventeen Project LLC. What I'm about to say, you'll be the most receptive person of any of most of the African leaders, including Buhari. This is the future you may have. Two thousand and fifteen, California became the sixth largest economy in the world displacing France. You have a choice by joining by advocating for the federation, political federation in Africa, for Nigeria to become even more than California. Otherwise you cannot just be like Mexico fifty years ago. I'm on the record on that. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Sir?
7: I'm Femi Akibi, and I'm a Nigerian. Uh, my question to the minister is that in all human resources of all economics, it is the human resource that is number one. Nigerian diaspora, with all our intellect, are scattered globally. What are we doing to bring us home? India is doing an airplane lift to move his diaspora home. Second, in area of corruption, the technology that is available to care those ill governmental practices in the country, i.e. blockchain. India again is the first country to use for their national identity. Your take sir
1: I think um, the you know the first observation is that your comment around the importance of human capital and people is um, an extremely apt one in the sense that if you look at our, our sort of, this is our economic plan, economic recovery and growth plan, we had to ask ourselves, what's the, what's the purpose of this plan? What's the number one thing it's trying to achieve? And we came to the conclusion it has to be investing in our people. It has to be very people-centered and very people-led. However, as you know, questions about people... You have to ask why several times. In other words, you have to go further down to determine what it is you're doing that will actually mean you're investing in our people, which is why we went to the next level and talked about those three areas. Um, You talk about the Nigerian diaspora, absolutely. One of the things that I tell people, I think is our secret weapon, because Nigerians, and it's not unique to Nigeria, are very passionate about Nigeria. You can see the passion even in your voice. So I am not surprised, and I think the government and the people of Nigeria need to tap into this. But the one thing I will observe is that like, they don't need... Love, we just need to do the right thing. Nigerians love their country. If we set in the right opportunity for them to invest, they will invest. If we set up the opportunity for them to come home, they will come home. If you also make it hard for them, they, you know, you find that are not as irrational as they may appear. They may look emotional, but they're not irrational. <laughs> they will stay away. So what the government can do is to make it attractive for them. You know what I mean? And that's what we have to do, and that's just the honest truth. That's great. Bert? Blockchain. Well, the whole financial technology or fintech and, you know, the use of technology for intermediation is a fascinating area, as you know, and I, 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 while I'm not an expert on it, we did invest in it when I was in private equity, and I know it's an area that is getting a lot of attention right now, particularly because of our foreign exchange challenges. So I think it's an opportunity. The challenges we face, like you rightly pointed, is an opportunity to look into all this blockchain and all these... um, Innovations and these new things that are happening, but it has to be led by people. That's why we talk a lot about public-private partnership. The central bank recently welcomed people to come and dialogue with them on how this could be used to, you know, um, for for financial intermediation. So I would say it's an area where there is a lot of interest, but it has to translate into projects.
3: So okay, great to see you, and I can think of no one better uh, suited for the job you're doing at this stage. And wish you all the best with it. One of the big issues about Nigeria that we've seen in the past is promises on infrastructure, energy, and roads. Uh, These are basic. At the same time, it's a complicated issue. There have been various investments that have tried to get around it, but for large-scale industrialization, what is it, uh, particularly not just announcement, but as you say, what's the actual walk instead of the talk? I think a lot of people are waiting for that.
1: Can I go ahead? Yeah, I think the first thing to say on it is that um, we... Obviously, this is my first time in government, so I can't really compare it to being in government at any other time. But I can say, as somebody who's been back in Nigeria for many years, that the president's laser focus on infrastructure deficit, in fact, at times, you wonder whether it's not an oversimplification, because his view is that since 1984, when he left, all the governments that came afterwards infrastructure, like you said, but did nothing, and that this must be one we will act on. And because of that, as you know, when you have political will and political stare from the top, everybody just falls in line. So when you hear us doing a lot with China, China is embarking on a $20 billion railway development across the country, because they were the ones that were prepared to help to finance it, you know, frankly. Um, even if it's not as efficient as a very competitive process, we felt it was better to get it done anyway, than to sort of not do it and say until the rest of the West or rest of the world, you know, come come to give their proposals. And those commitments have been made, so you know it's going to happen. Uh, the other thing is the same thing is happening, um, you know, with with the airports. I talk about the aviation reforms that you're going to see. Again, public-private partnership model. Um, we're doing the same thing in power. I must say power has been a stubborn problem. Even now, we don't have the perfect solution, but everybody's working on it, the World Bank, private sector, the government. We put one of our most um, 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 successful governors as a minister of power, the minister of Lagos, Fashola. And um, I'm sure for him, it's been a humbling experience, but clearly, we're still working at it. So I think it's, it's not going to be lack of effort. And I'm cautiously optimistic you see results. It's just like power, sorry, infrastructure by its very nature is a long-term development and is a long-term commitment.
3: Speaking
1: of power,
7: Paul. um, My name is Paul Hinks. I'm the CEO of a power company uh, called Symbian Power. We were the, when the privatization was rolled out under the previous government, uh, we were the only U.S. company that participated in the public bidding. Um, we partnered with Transcorp, Tony Alamulu, and we won. We, 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 have, we won a 972 megawatt capacity power plant at Ugali. When we looked at the privatization program, it looked fabulous, and we were convinced that if everything got done as was planned, it was going to it was going to work, and we're going to see power all over Nigeria. The reality is that far from uh, the plan, I mean, it, it really has not worked at all. And I just I mean, I'll preface this by saying I do love Nigeria, but the reality is we started we took out a loan of two hundred and something million dollars from UBA and another bank, and we started in rehabilitating the plant from the day we started running after acquiring that plant and paying the acquisition cost and funding the rehabilitation I don't think we ever got paid fully Uh, I think we were getting like 50% of our invoices paid and so I don't need to tell you as a Africa Capital Alliance what that means when you have lenders who are screaming at you Mm -hmm. so it was a it was a mess from the the very beginning my question is what is the government doing now to arrest this problem? And the privatization clearly has stalled. Is there some scheme that's going to correct those problems so that we can see real investment going into Nigeria and fixing the electricity problem? Very good question. I think um, to go back to where you started, that privatization...
1: Um, unfortunately not attract as much capacity, know-how, experience as he should have. And by your own admission, you are one of the you are an exception rather than the rule. And the intention was to attract many of those ones. Some of them looked but for a variety of reasons, he ended up being a very entrepreneurial. And as you know, as much as I love entrepreneurship, infrastructure and power is not the best case study for entrepreneurship. You know, I mean, it just isn't. You know, it's project finance, it's big players, it's money. You know, all talk about everything. Anthony Lumelu, with all due respect, is an entrepreneur when it comes to power. And not surprisingly, the entrepreneurs have found that, like, it's you know, it's not enough. That desire to achieve and to conquer the world needs to be matched by real substance. Players like you. So one of the first things government is doing now. It's the what will it take to bring those players back? You know, we I mean the, the contrast is telecoms. We did a process, we invited the players, the operators came. Whether we love them or hate them, they are the reason why it was successful. Without them, we would have had the same entrepreneurial effort where people are learning and failing and you know, and and you just can't afford to take that risk with something as important as power. So it should be a very dull business, a very predictable business, a very disciplined, you know what I mean? So but what is the- no, what the government is doing is, you know, you know I, I mean, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but you know, power involves generation, transmission, and distribution, and the thing that goes even for the generation in terms of gas to power. In all those areas, in that entire value chain, they need intervention. So, there's a master plan. The questions we're trying to address is, how do you bring in a private sector into all of that? How do you solve the liquidity crisis, which is why you're not getting paid? And then three, how do you ensure that the role of government is sustainable? Because right now, in, in, we are not in a sustainable place. Even if government arrests paid whatever they, you know, is owed, it's just a matter of time will accumulate again. So we are consulting with, I mean, I was with the World Bank last, yesterday. I'm stopping over in London, we're having similar meetings. So there's a lot of work that is going into it And I will welcome you with any ideas you may have for us in terms of how to have a more successful public-private partnership for power that will solve this problem of capital, know-how, capacity, and, ultimately, sustainability. sir.
6: Uh, I'm Dave Rabinowitz. And uh, speaking of power, uh, 50 years ago, if someone had suggested getting telephones to everybody in Africa, the reply would have been, there's not enough copper to wire the continent. Today, everybody in Africa has telephones because of new technology. (laughs) Similarly, for the question of power, It is now cheaper to build a solar power plant per kilowatt hour generated than it is to build any other kind of power uh, facility. And solar can be done on a small scale, distributed. You don't need massive uh, distribution networks and things like that. And it's very low maintenance issues. So things don't break down and uh, sit there, as I've experienced personally in Africa, for years with no electricity because they can't fix a generator. And I am wonder uh, if somebody had invested in wiring uh, telephone lines in Africa, they'd have been kicking themselves now because they would never have gotten their uh, money back because of the cell phone. Is it really making sense to invest in uh, power distribution systems today when solar is actually cheaper? So again, a good question. I think the, the power needs of the country and the, is
1: such that it's not, we don't have the luxury of either or. There is a lot of solar going on, but as you know, and you pointed out in your question, it can give you sort of incremental power here and there, you know. but the power needs we're talking about are uh, tens of thousands of megawatts. I mean, it's not, you know, so basically there's a lot of engagement of the solar for those that are interested, but I can assure you that the numbers that are talking about, are a fraction, actually a small fraction of the total needs of the country. So basically, you need hydro. In fact, we're even arguing that we need coal, you know, um, and, 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 and gas in addition to solar. I think the point to make is that we need a coherent, sustainable solution. Well, lots of solar power providers, and the experience we've had is that it's definitely not sufficient, but it may be a very useful part of a total solution, but it's not an alternative. It's not like, let's go solar and keep everything else out. It's it's not a feasible alternative. Sir,
8: back here. Thank you. Steve Landy, Manchester Trade. Uh, Just before I left. The office, I got a call from Nigeria with someone who has a typical problem of trying to bring over productive machinery, but there's problems with the foreign currency, so I'd like to maybe chat with one of your assistants or yourself before you leave. Um, I also had the pleasure of working with Africa with one of your predecessors, uh, uh, Minister Mustafa Bello, who was both Minister of Trade, but also he worked in the Investment Council. And it's amazing to me how the same problems he has is now being repeated, but now it still exists. But you have a you have a theory, a plan to get it done with President Buhari. So we're very thankful. My question to you is: What role does trade agreements play, and trade negotiations play in what you're doing? As you know, in the administration, there's a certain pressure against China against Mexico. I don't want to go there. But for many of us who work on Africa, Africa is an opportunity of a partnership to make America great again, but also to make Africa great again. And because to the extent, Assembly, you will enter the U.S. in supply chains at a level that really is not competitive with the U.S., which I can't say is true – with U.S. is fairly important. So the question I kind of put is – Anyone giving thought as to the kind of trade policy that one can offer the offer the Trump administration, we're very lucky because it seems that Africa in the immediate future is not at the top priority. So if somebody puts a proposal there, which could be the Hudson Institute, if somebody puts a proposal there that kind of responds to some American needs, we can make some progress. So is trade policy in your area, and is this something that's worth giving some thought to? Thank you very much.
1: Absolutely. So trade policy is very much part of our area, and we understand the importance of trade as a strategic tool or a strategic um, 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 instrument for dealing with many of the objectives we have. And as you know, trade is also a technical area, so we do have a lot of support. Um, Ambassador Chiedu Asakwe actually joined us from the World Trade Organization where he had been for many, many years as our trade advisor because of the importance of having capacity in trade. So there's a lot of discussion going on, um, to ensure we sign or we enter into the right trade relationships, both on a bilateral basis as well as on a regional basis, you know, including a continental um, free trade area agreement that Africa is doing, we're engaged with Europe, we're having meetings here in the U.S., including with the trade office and so on. So I think it's, um, it's a very important area you point out.
2: Thank you. Well, we'll have time for one more question, but the minister and his colleagues will be able to stay for a few minutes afterwards if you want to ask them. no oh, good. Go ahead, Margaret.
8: Margaret Whitehead, Hudson Institute. Um, Margaret Whitehead, Hudson Institute trustee. Uh, there are two con- companies emerging in the United States to install broadband communications all over the world to individual homes which is extremely disruptive and is highly anticipated in in the developing world, especially in terms of business. And um, one of the companies is headed by Elon Musk, and the other is uh, financed by Richard Branson, or Virgin, and Qualcomm. We wonder what you're doing to anticipate this and what you're hearing about it on your side of the pond.
1: Thank you. Very good question. We actually are very interested because you know this whole smart digital economy initiative um, um, needs this level of access, right, and inclusivity. You know, of, um, of um, because right now I think we have about a third, thirty to forty percent, depending on what numbers you believe, um, data access in terms of in terms of um, the mobile phone coverage. I think it's nearing; it's, it's probably close to hundred percent. But in terms of data, we we're, we're, we're a long way off. And some of it has to do with how to get this broadband access to as many individuals and as many parts of the population as possible. So we're very interested in any help you can give in, in that would be. Um, I was talking to the Google people in an earlier meeting today because they also had a project um, to do with this issue of access you know, back in Africa, and I wanted to know what they were doing about it. But clearly, it's an area, it's an infrastructure play, as you know. I mean, it's basically trying to create more infrastructure, basic infrastructure on which the whole digital economy and e-commerce and other things will stand.
8: This effort all began with Google, and it's exploded from there and taken on many different forms since Exactly,
2: yes. All right, well, John, go ahead, one.
3: John Materos of Nigeria. We've been invested in Nigeria since 1960, and we've always gotten our dividend out, never had any issue whatsoever in terms of uh, repatriating profit or having a very liberal free enterprise uh, mindset in in, in government. We also invested in a cement plant in the middle of Cross River State, and in the middle of it Five hundred million dollar investment. you Oh my goodness! What what are we doing? We have to build a pipeline, 120 kilometers. We stuck. We stuck with it, and it worked out. And it worked out over the long run. So, investors in Nigeria, you have to be patient. You have to think in the long run, and more importantly, I think we have to also shift the paradigm a bit. It's it's not just well, I'm going to come in. The government's going to set up my pipeline, my electricity to everything, and I'm just going to walk in, and by the way, I want to be able to take my money in and out anytime I want. It, it, it doesn't work. You need to invest in sectors which is going to build Nigerian capacity, which is going to build value-added in-country in a very strongly growing environment. If you align yourself in that direction and be there for the long run, you will, you will make out. So it's not a quick in and out. It's not – an import orientation—it's how you can invest in the capacity of a vastly growing country and align yourself with it and make value added in that direction. And with patience, perseverance—it's not easy. With Switzerland and everyone would be there, but it, it can be done as we've done it over the past 55 years. So I would
2: thank you. To to so it's a nice way—nice way to end today. And I'll remind you, you heard it here first at the Hudson Institute, <laughs> the rise of Nigeria. And thank you very much,
3: Minister Lama, and thank you all for coming.
7: Thank you very much, sir.